prosecution outlined how accounting practices what fuck? What? did not What kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'd be in a museum. I'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now. back with another episode. I am your host, JB, with my co-host, Cam. Uh, today, we are joined by our very special guest, Louisville, Kentucky-based cartoonist, Ben Sears. We've been wanting to have him on the show for a while, so it's nice that he was able to join us finally. Before we get into that, we have some news and shout-outs to cover as usual. Yeah, so let's go ahead and start off with shout-outs. Uh, actually, we don't have any shout-outs. Hey, shout-out to my dealer. Yeah, uh, shout-out to the dealers across the shout world. Shout-out to all uh, the dealers. For, yeah, it sucks that, you know, the medicinal shops are probably putting y'all out of business, but here in Kentucky, you are still vital to my life. I do want to talk again real quick about uh, Rust Belt Review. Uh, we don't have a commercial for that yet. You know, we're looking forward to getting one, but I know while we are being paid to advertise this comic, and you've heard about it a lot over the past few episodes, I cannot reiterate more how important it is for comics to have an anthology like this to exist. Sean Knickerbocker is the editor, previous guest of the show, M.S. Harkness, Caleb Arecchio, Audra Stang, and, uh, you know, some others are in that book as well as Sean. And you could pick that up uh, by following the link in his Instagram. His Instagram is at Sean Knickerbocker. All right. So first in news, this one's pretty big and important to discuss because I think it sets a really great precedence for comics and how important comics really are as a medium. DC announces Batman vs. Snake Eyes in their Batman Fortnite crossover, 0 point number 3. <laughs> uh, this comic will be the first crossover between the two badasses of their respective <laughs> franchise universes and is sure to become Wait. a collector's item, even as it features absolutely <laughs> zero... Yeah, that's a bad joke. I'm not going to read that. <laughs> so, it's, it was Batman and who? Uh, Batman and Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes is a villain... From G.I. Joe, right? yeah. So, what does that have to do with... For so, Fortnite is putting out a comic with these two crossing over? Yeah, I guess so, because I do wow. remember something about Fortnite having G.I. Joe characters as some sort of, like, thing that they were doing, some sort of promotion. I think it's because they, like, have some deal with Hasbro, maybe? I can't really remember. If well, I'm... they have a deal with, like, everybody, because I, I know, like, Deadpool showed up in Fortnite. I don't play, but, like, they'll, like, you know, I see stuff online. I know, like, Deadpool yeah. showed up, like, Darth Vader. So, I think they just, like, strike up deals with, like, these companies to get their characters in Fortnite. And I think Fortnite, I don't know if it's still the biggest game, but I know for a while it was. Yeah, it's definitely really popular with babies. I know that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Uh, so, yeah, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Other news that's actually a little more relevant in a way. Actually, you could go one, or, one way or the other now that I think about it. Mm -hmm. uh, San Diego Comic-Con announced that their Thanksgiving weekend will now be an in-person convention. Mm. Uh, that, that news hit at the end of March. It'll be the first three-day show that they've ran since 2019, if you can believe it. 
They release some basic information uh, and some details about sort of how this is all going to play out. Uh, this will be the first in-person convention produced by the organization since Comic-Con 2019, and the first one since the onset of the global pandemic of COVID-19. Uh, the fall event will allow the organization to highlight all the great elements that make Comic-Con such a popular blah, 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 jack-off motion. Uh, while we mm. have been able to pivot from one in-person gatherings to limited online events, the loss of revenue has had an acute impact on the organization, as it has with many businesses, necessitating reduced work schedules schedules and reductions in pay for employees, among other issues, says David Glanzer, spokesperson for the nonprofit organization. That is bullshit. Nonprofit my ass. Uh, that's yeah. <laughs> what we call a tax shelter. Yep. Hopefully this event will shore up our financial reserves and mark a slower return to a large in-person gatherings in 2022. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so this brings up a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, fuck Comic-Con. You people are fucking ghouls. <laughs> You really want to make this as part of your press push for this? Is highlighting how we fucked our employees? Right. Get the fuck out of here with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I If Comic-Con and companies that run Comic-Cons go under tomorrow, I would not shed a single fucking tear. Okay? Yeah. If Reed Pop ended up going under, fine. Whatever. People will fucking move on. I don't need to stand in line for an hour and a half to meet uh, an extra from Star Trek The Next Generation. Like, I'm sorry. Right. None of that shit has any effect on me. Mm -hmm. I personally think that the only shows that I think would have an impact on me, on you, the listeners, and on comic creators and comic readers would be the small press shows. If yeah. any of those shows went under, then yeah, that would be a major problem. Luckily, none of those are all run by faceless international conglomerate entities. So, uh, they're a little more transparent about what happens. They're all, you know, run by grassroots organizations. I'm not too concerned about that. And they, they know what they're doing and they have already announced, you know, sort of like what their plans are uh, for 2022 because none of them are running any shows in 2021 which I think is still smart. I know a lot of people are still getting their vaccines. Uh, the majority of the population will likely be vaccinated in this country probably by the end of the uh, summer of this year. And that's fine. But I still don't think that means, hey, we should start having 30,000 people in the same fucking space. No, that's dumb as shit. I'm sorry. I don't trust enough people. I don't believe that everybody's been willing to actually get uh, vaccinations. I just, I don't think it's a good idea. And that's just me. What, Whatever. Yeah, I think it's it's still too soon. I don't trust the public, <laughs> like you said. Like I don't trust the public. Yeah. Like it's and I also it's not I these organized. Well, I just I also just don't trust these companies to do the right thing either. Yeah, like I would like to believe that the organizers have like the best interests of the public at heart, but I mean it's all about the dollar to them. So I don't think that that's what's going to be happening. Yeah. Also, are they like like low key just saying, hey, if you're a unwashed comic nerd. You probably don't have friends or family to spend Thanksgiving with anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, like it's kind of weird to do it on Black Friday weekend, right? I'm assuming it's Black Friday, Saturday and Sunday. But uh, yeah, no, it's still interesting. And I mean, like San Diego's not the only one coming back. I mean, because Emerald City's coming back, C2E2 is coming back, all in the yep. winter as well. So uh, it's not like they're like the lone wolf in this. Comic conventions uh, really think that uh, things are just going to, you know, kick off for them in the winter, which I mean, if everybody does what they're supposed to, maybe. But here's the thing, like one, you're putting all these shows so close together. So like the creators that make the circuits throughout the the years like there i don't foresee that being a smart financial move especially around the holidays but i mean these things aren't about like the fucking creators that are struggling anyway they're about the fucking you know like you said the extras that were in star trek and so forth like comics are like the lowest denominator to these people probably 
Yeah, I, I mean, I just, I can't get over the wording of this press release from this yeah, fucking dickhead yeah. spokesperson. It's like, acute impact necessitating reduced work schedules and reduction in pay for employees. As if they had no control over that. The fuck out of here. God right. damn. That's that's some ghoulish shit. Mm-hmm. Why would you why would you even put that in your fucking read? Like why even mention it? Just say everybody's been impacted by COVID. That's yeah. the end. That's right. my statement. I have nothing <laughs> else to fucking shove up my own ass right now. It's yeah. so stupid. Anyway. Uh so yeah, I mean, you know, let us know. Are you all planning on doing cons when they come back? I hope not. <laughs> yeah, fuck that, man. Uh I, I don't I'm not doing a show till twenty twenty two. I've already told myself that. Yep. It'll yep. probably be spring, summer, you know? Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I think it's a blessing because like this gives us even more time to make even more books and more comics. Yeah, exactly. For when the time does actually come where this shit is like, you know, the right time to do it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, have you read anything cool lately? I know you're in the process of a move, so I don't blame you if you're not reading. I'm in the process of moving, so I've been packing up all of my stuff. A lot of it is, you know, taped up in boxes, so I haven't been reading a whole lot unfortunately. Uh, what I have been reading is just sort of whatever I get in the mail within the last couple of weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. I finished reading the rest of 666. Uh, there's some really great stories in here. Uh, big shout out to friend of the show, Sage Coffee. Uh, I really dig their story in this. But yeah, lots of, lots of good stuff in here. Please check it out. Eric's, Eric's story is fucking great too, now that I think about it. So yeah, if you like horror and if you like anthology, this is definitely something to pick up. Or if you like Rizograph specifically, I think some people out there have a preference for that print format. So yeah, check it out. And it's also printed really well. Any, I mean, look, if you own anything by Really Easy Press, you already know. Yeah, what you you're know getting. it's quality. Yeah, and, you know it's uh, quality. You know it's like super professionally done. It's just it's just a really well made book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so big shout out to Eric. Uh, he really busts his ass with Really Easy Press. And I don't think he gets enough credit for it. Yeah. And uh, speaking of 666, I will be in issue two. I don't know if I'm allowed to announce that yet, but uh, finishing up my story in the next couple of weeks and uh, I'll be right behind JB's issue in the next one. So uh, check it out. It's a really cool zine. They're not even zine comic rather. And the contributor list for issue two, not including me, is really stellar. So uh, check out this first one and, you know, hopefully you stick around for the second. Uh, also, the Book Industry Charity Foundation announced that they're establishing a Survive to Thrive bookstore grant program founded with initial support from Ingram Charities and Ingram Content Group. The program will quickly provide grants to independent bookstores and comic shops affected by COVID-19. With a leading gift of $500,000 jointly from Ingram Charities and Ingram Content Group, $250,000 from Bookshop.org, and an additional $250,000 from Hatchet, HarperCollins, Macmillan Publishers, and Penguin Random House, uh, the Survive to Thrive initiative has raised the first million of its $2 million goal. The grant program will provide substantial support to as many as 200 brick-and-mortar bookstores and comic shops in the U.S. Hell yeah. Uh, that have a strong foundation in their communities, but are facing financial challenges due to the impact of the pandemic. Mm. Pamela French, BINC, uh, their executive director states, in 2020, BINC distributed $2.9 million to help more than 2,200 bookstores, comic shops, and individual store owners and employees. In eight weeks, beginning in late March of 2020, BINC distributed more aid than the prior eight years combined. Uh, so that's a nice little thing to do, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I mean, hopefully, you know, one of the shops that, uh, you know, I think is cool gets one of those grants. I wish that... Uh you know, this happened more often and it, you know, bookstores were able to, you know, stay funded and... Well, I mean, I think it's a nice thought. I think the biggest issue is that this responsibility should not be put on consumers. Yeah, no, I agree. Because, I mean, 
it's cool that they've raised the first million, but I mean, like, and of course, you know, the, the consumers want the bookstore to exist, but right. we are also, you know, they're passing the buck to people during a pandemic, yeah. you know, yeah. so. This is, this is definitely a berserk Kickstarter type of situation. Yeah. Like, there's no need for this really like uh-huh. if if this was a just world this would have all been taken care of and handled by the government yes yes but you know those those companies would have had small business loans and so forth and they would have helped the companies that actually needed it instead of the fucking global conglomerate corporations that ended up getting tons of breaks but you know that's that's a whole different thing yeah but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it, it is kind of bad that they're passing the uh, the buck onto the consumer because like you said, it's got like that Berserker Kickstarter stink on it where it's like, why are we on the hook for this? Like, yeah, we like yeah. shopping at bookstores, but why do we have to like, it's almost like paying for a membership, like it's Costco or something if you donate, you know? Right, and- yeah. Why, why is a global pandemic suddenly the responsibility of a bunch <laughs> yeah. of book readers? That's really fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but no, I mean, you know, j- just to summarize, hey, nice thought mm-hmm. is all. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I love the bookstore experience. I love the comic shop experience. I think those places are always going to exist. You know, it's very unfortunate that the pandemic wiped some of them out. But, you know, uh, hopefully this can, you know, the good thing about this is if it can get funded, hopefully it goes to the right places and the uh, institutions that really need it. Uh, just want to give a couple shout outs here. Let's go ahead and uh, get into those. Silver Sprocket, friends of the show, sent us over a package of books. And I was actually, you know, this is not like me shouting them out for that because we already did that. But I was actually getting around to reading them. And uh, they sent a comic over called Miffed Ruffians, Penultimate Subterfuge by Roger Bignon. And this is just like completely psychedelic work. It looks like, uh, you know, I don't want to say a blacklight comic because I feel like you immediately think Jim Rugg and that comic. But uh, it does look like, you know, like that kind of neon color palette. And the work in it is just really insane. So if you are looking for a new comic to read, I do recommend checking out that Roger Bignon book. Um, I'm actually going to try to get some more titles uh, by them because uh, really incredible work. I'd seen some of their books at SPX uh, the last time we were there, but I didn't hit their table and pick some up, unfortunately. Now I wish I had. Yeah, the work definitely looked familiar. I've likely come across it before, but this book stood out from all the books that we got from... Silver Sprocket. Uh, Mainly, I think, just because of the cover, but also, like, content-wise, it is vastly different from anything else. And that's not a negative. And we're not, you know, saying that all these other books are, like, deficient in some way. No. Uh, It's more just about, like, this one clearly stood out to us Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, the type of things that we read. And it's also fucking huge, like compared to the rest of the yes, stuff. Yes, oh, yeah, it's like everything was book, like, yeah. yeah, like everything was like <laughs> mini comic, mini comic size, and this is like you know bigger than magazine size. So uh, right, yeah. yeah. Oh, also shout out to Jen Woodall, whose book is uh, also in this package. Yes, or, or also in this release, rather. Yeah, Jen is a friend of the show, makes incredible work. I hope that we get more uh, magical beatdown from them soon. I've got those two issues that are also from Silver Sprocket, Small World Shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know you guys are probably tired of us talking about this right now, but um, until we get an official commercial or some copy, uh, we're going to continue to talk about Rust Belt Review. And even though Sean is paying us to talk about Rust Belt Review, I want to let you know that I've tried the product and I believe in it. You know, previous guests of the show, uh, MS Harkness, Caleb Arecchio, Audra Stang, all have work in there along with Sean Knickerbocker and Juan Fernandez. And uh, you can pick that up from Sean's uh, Instagram at Sean Knickerbocker. There is a link there. It's very important, you know, I can't, you know, reiterate how important it is to me that uh, cartoonists have a potential place to work that is uh, giving so much care to uh, the curation and printing of the uh, content. So all in all, I'm really glad that Rust Belt Review exists and you guys should check that out if you haven't yet. Not a single day goes by since it's released that I haven't seen it on somebody's Instagram story. So I know it's getting out there. So uh, make sure to pick up a copy if you haven't yet. 
All right. So real quick, I wanted to workshop an idea sort of live on the air. Okay. Go off. Okay. Yeah. So I was thinking, if we have our basic tiers for Patreon, we should start making new goals that aren't ridiculous amounts of money, just so that we have a better idea of sort of what our track record is. But also, maybe we give our listeners some access to our bonus episodes once we hit certain goals. Mm. What do you think about that? How does that How does that strike you? Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with whatever personally, but I wonder if the patrons would be upset. But I mean, you're talking about like months old content at this time, right? Right. This would be older episodes. And since none of those episodes are really time sensitive in any way, it wouldn't really matter when you listen to them. Right, right. So what? Like if we hit X amount of dollars, we upload a free. Yeah. Well, what's the incentive? Like, let's in say if we hit if we hit 800, we will release two bonus episodes to the general public. Yeah, but that doesn't help the patrons. That just helps the freeloaders that don't want to give us money. Yes, but if we have like, let, let me put it this way. If we have 75 people already on paying us to get the bonus episodes, mm-hmm. okay? And we get 200 who are just giving us a dollar or $5 each. So they're not getting access to the bonus content, but they are putting in their money. Yeah. So over time, because the audience has grown so large and because they are all technically paying, all the back catalog of stuff that the patrons already technically got, it doesn't change the fact that they had access to it first. Mm-hmm. If we give access to sort of the, the other part of our audience that's not being able to you know spend $10 a month or whatever, the possibility of getting those bonus episodes that they otherwise would never be able to hear, mm-hmm. I think that that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, I'm cool with it if you want to do it. Patrons, let us know what's up. And if that makes your dick soft, we have an answer for that. Well, boom, yeah. No, as a matter of fact, we're here to tell you about bluechew.com and the tablets that they... Are we allowed to say they sell? (laughs) (laughs) You know Uh, what? I'll handle this ad read. All right. So, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Guys, guys, fellas. The Blue Chew guys. This one, only for the fellas. Mm -hmm. All right. Personally, I have no problems getting my dick hard. I just want to make that clear as day. Yeah, same. The gutter boys do not need Blue Chew, but we believe in Blue Chew so much, we talk about it. It's less about a need and more of like a, a want. It's, it's a performance enhancement. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder and stronger erections to combat all forms of ED. That's actually ED, erectile dysfunction. Uh, Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Yeah, it's not going to be like your order from my comic shop where it just says, I'm a fucking nerd. This is discreet as fuck. It just says Bazinga with Superman on yeah, it. Yeah, none of that lame shit where your neighbors are going to point and laugh and make fun of you because this isn't in the discreetest package of all time. You know, the process is simple, though. You just sign up at BlueChew.com. You can consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And, you know, the best part, it's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right girlfriend because you will die alone otherwise. No, uh, they, <laughs> they'll find the right ingredients and strengths to your prescription. Uh, you don't like swallowing? Hey, who does? I love swallowing. 
pills. No problem here. But if you don't like swallowing pills, there's no problem with the Blue Chew tablet <laughs> because it's a chewable. Blue Chew's active ingredients are sildenafil and tadalafil, and those tablets are made in the USA, and they are prepared and shipped directly, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And hey... And folks, we got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code GUTTER at checkout. Just pay $5 in shipping, that's all. So that's bluechew.com, promo code GUTTER, G-U-T-T-E-R, to receive your first month for free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring our cocks and our podcast. Hell yeah. So uh, now that we've got our uh, dick chewable ad out of the way, that's it, bro. So I guess we plug, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's it, y'all. That's it for the first segment. As always, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gutter boys for $5 a month. You get two extra bonus episodes on our off weeks. Uh, you also get the entire back catalog anytime you sign up. If you want to throw us a couple extra bucks and get something for yourself for $10 or 15 for international patrons, we have a monthly zine called Pimp Digest. Uh, there's works in progress and so forth in that. Uh, I'm preparing issue number three as we speak. Not really, but we're recording in the past and when you're listening to this it's in the future so i will be when you hear it oh yeah real quick though i wanted to go ahead and give out a shout out to friend of the show gabriel mason howell oh yeah i got their book uh, in the middle their there. fairly recent book overshadowed by a castle which was published by friend of the show bread at bread press it's a 40 page rizzo printed comic it's a very very nice presentation mm-hmm if you haven't checked it out yet, we would highly recommend uh, looking into uh, getting a copy for yourself. You will not regret it. Yeah, I know Gabe was running low on stock because I hit them up and because their Instagram story said they were running low. Uh, so if they're out, hit up Bread Press's website. Yes, or you can go to your local small press shop. There's a couple of shops that do carry the book. I believe if you are in the Chicago area, Quimby should still have copies available. So pick one up. Hell yeah. And, you know, if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Gutter Boys Pod. Yep. I am personally on Instagram at and Twitter at Cam Del Rosario. JB is at Mort Crimp Jr. Uh, we also have a Discord where people post their uh, work and, you know, just talk shit about comics. If you want a link to that, just DM me on my personal account at Cam Del Rosario and I will get you a link. Just don't be a uh, cop and uh, you can come in. All right. So we're going to take another commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when we come, man, half of the show is now just commercials. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, and when we come back, we'll be joined by our uh, eminent guest, Mr. Free Ben Sears. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Gutter Gang. Uh, we want to tell you about a webcomic that is also one of our Patreon supporters, Soggy Landing. Soggy Landing is an epic fantasy adventure about a weed wizard that stumbles into a gunpowder plot to smash the state. There's lots of cartoon animals, magic, historical, and literary references, drugs and flashbacks, songs, horror, gore, and the occult. Twice a week, there are new pages of Soggy Landing at Study Group Comics, and there are over 200 pages of frogs, bears, and revolution waiting for you right now. You can follow them on Instagram at welcome underscore two underscore soggy underscore landing or at Ian Densford soggy landing hell yeah dude this program is brought to you in part by a generous donation of $12 by the Michael Sweater Foundation for the Arts at Michael Sweater Foundation for the Arts we are committed to supporting stuff that rocks Michael Sweater encourages you to also sign up for the Gutter Boys Patreon and to buy the latest issue of Strangers Bubbles and other zines about comics also please make more zines about comics and comics history it doesn't even have to be good also Silver Sprocket rules
to our program. Welcome back to the show from our little break, from our little commercial break. And we are joined by our guest for this evening, all the way from Louisville, Kentucky, Ben Sears. Cartoonist, very online guy. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> just constantly posting, and, and we love we love our posting king. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about you? Uh, I can't complain. I that's a lie. <laughs> uh, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Hey, Kim, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Hey, Ben, how? Just for the record, I always say Louisville on the show. How do you say it? Uh, just Louisville. Louisville. Of, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The correct way. The middle there. Yeah. Well, you know that's debatable, JB. Is it though? But, <laughs> uh, you know, you never know. I don't know. I don't want to get into that first off the bat, though. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So you might know Ben from his previous body of work, most of which was uh, published under Koyama Press. Uh, Volcano Trash, Night Air, the list is never-ending. Uh, he also did a, a couple of Garfield stories, which we'll be touching on here later, but uh, <laughs> uh, some of the best Garfield stories, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah. So, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about comics and about uh, about your work. Why are you doing comics? Uh, well, it's been like six years now, maybe. So, I guess I've kind of forgotten at this point. Oh, true. Why I'm doing it. You know, you just do it because you're... What else are you going to do? Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. It's, you get yeah. stuck eventually. <laughs> very yeah, very uh, Sisyphean of you. Yes. Yeah, just pushing the rock up and then the book comes out and then I start all over again. Yep. Got to respect that hustle. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I started because I had never done it before and I was like, well, I might as well give it a shot. Here I am now. So I guess I like doing it a little bit. Well, uh, one of the things that I definitely wanted to touch on about your work is sort of the style decisions that you make and how you kind of transitioned into that approach compared to your older work. Because there is mm-hmm. there is a pretty clear distinction between uh, the work that we see now that's very, very much attached to the Ben Sears name and then the older work prior to that, uh, that I would argue someone might, you know, a layman might have a, a difficulty making that connection that that's the same Ben Sears. Well... I think because I was figuring out a style as I was starting, like I didn't just jump in with like a fully formed style. I was kind of figuring everything out. And like when you do comics enough, you just, it's just like a never ending series of like finding shortcuts and stuff. Like, how can I do this faster? How can I get to this page faster so I can meet the deadline and stuff like that? So I think that's how at least my style was formed, just like trying to find ways to do things faster and more efficiently. And also, like, you know, as you get older, you just, well, for me, maybe you just like less and less things. So that kind of distills your what you want to do a little bit. Yeah, I can attest to that. And then I think, you know, looking at your older work, uh, like the study group, if I'm not mistaken, I think that study group was that was that the first plus man comic? Yeah. yeah, like it just seems like you simplified your style for the best, you know, uh, less lines and you just kind of figure out, you know, where to put them. Oh, yeah. Not that the early stuff was bad by any means, but, um, you know, you've really honed in on uh, what your style is, uh, which is something of your own now. I don't yeah, really see anything to, else like it. 
just trying to be more deliberate about what I put on a page instead of like, oh, this seems empty. I should fill it up with like all these little patch marks and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, the old work was more dense and you were doing like some like cross hatching. I think there was like a tunnel or something like that, I recall, when I was like flipping yeah. through the work. Yeah, I remember seeing that. So yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. Were you publishing that online like during Tumblr and then you got like picked up by study group? How'd that happen? Or were you just publishing it there through their online service? Um, it just went through them. I sent an email to Zach Soto and was just like, hey, would you be interested in running this? And he was like, yeah, why not? So it started running on there and then he put out the print edition. So it was never like a like a webcomic kind of thing. Okay. Hell yeah. And then shortly after that, I guess you took that property over to Koyama with the, the first book was the uh, the brown one. That was Night Air, correct? Yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. So Koyama's uh, closing up shop and I know you took all your books over there. Can we talk a little bit about like how you landed over there? What your decision was to work with Anu Koyama? She just seemed cool. Uh, I went to SPX in 2014 with a couple copies of that study group comic and just kind of handed them out to people I looked up to and she was hanging around this group that I was giving them out to and I gave one to her and I think she followed me online before that but like we had never met or anything so I followed up with her after that and just sent her an email like, hey, do you take submissions for anything? And like right after I sent the email, I saw on her website that they don't take submissions. <laughs> <laughs> but she got back to me and was like, well, somebody just dropped out of next spring's lineup. If you can get a book done like in this amount of time, that's like our deadline we have to meet for the printer and promotion and stuff. If you can meet that deadline, then you can get a book out in that person's place. So that's what I did. Just kind of sat down and drew and didn't know it was going to happen, but I got it done. Yeah. Did it kill you to have like, you know, oh, here, you have to do this now? Like, did the deadline kill you or was it pretty reasonable? Compared to my working speed now, like it was pretty brutal. But mm -hmm. that was, you know, back when everything was still, you know, pretty lighthearted, like just out of college, like the world is a nice big place that's full of adventure. So you're just excited about everything. So it was it was fun and I didn't really mind like, you know, drawing what, like 50 pages in a couple, three, four months maybe. So it, it was fun at the time. I don't think I could do that speed again, but I enjoyed it. Hell yeah. And you kept, uh, you know, you were over there uh, until the end. You did four books, I guess about one a year is what it added up to. Now, before we get on to the new book at Fantagraphics, what's the future of those titles? Uh, you know, with Koyama moving into a different direction with the grant thing and ceasing to publish books now. That's a good question. Like back when I found out they were closing, which would have been like 2018, maybe I had pitched a couple like D plus stories to like some of the bigger publishers, like kids book publishers. They all got rejected, unfortunately. But, you know, rejection is that just opens up a new path. So it's a shame that the stories they didn't they passed on them. But it's gave me a bunch of ideas for like self-published stuff I could do. But in doing that pitching stuff, I found out that since Koyama was basically functioning until this year, there's like a three year time span that no other publisher really wanted to put them out because they were still in print through Koyama. So I haven't really pursued it past that. And I'm just working on so many different things. It's like not even on my radar right now. It's something I should think about. But yeah, I think it's just all up in the air because I think they're technically out of print now. Okay, gotcha. So there's like all those remaining copies. Are you going to get your hand on some? Or? I, I got most of the stock of everything that was left over. I think Volcano Trash is like, I'm down to like my last 10 copies of that maybe, but 
I have a good amount of everything else. Oh, you hear that, speculators? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sell them out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's interesting. I mean, it, it doesn't really surprise me, uh, considering like the consistency of your output. That uh, you know, looking back wouldn't really be a big priority, at least at the moment, because you do constantly just pump out project after project. Yeah, I mean, it's something I should do, and it would be cool if they could put them out as, like, one big, you know, like, 300-page book, but... Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking ahead and, like, I mean, do I really want to have all this old stuff that I'm not... I, I really like two of the books still, but the first two, I'm like, man, those drawings are a little rough. I don't know if I want those... <laughs> <laughs> like reprinted for everybody. The growing pains. Yeah. Are you done working with that character? Because I know the new one is Young Shadow, who you've done in a mini before. But is Plus Man done for now? No, That the comic I'm working on right now called Empanada is like the next chapter of those guys. So, oh, okay. Yeah. it's a. am just doing it on my Patreon right now, so it's not like out in the wild yet. But yeah, I, I have like, you know tons of things that i could do with them i'm not burned out yet which i'm kind of surprised but at the same time <laughs> i just I, I try not to overthink it because then you like overanalyze everything it's like should i do this instead i'm just gonna go with it right yeah let's talk more rock yeah well as a, as a reader you know your comics are a lot of fun and it you know makes me happy to hear that you know you're not tired of these characters yet with you know the worlds and the universes that you create in your books you know just being super unique as well as like the character design and so forth do you have a lot of fun you know making this stuff it, it comes across on the page like you do yeah totally i mean i wouldn't draw it if it wasn't fun so, uh, moving on to the uh, new book, Young Shadow over at Fanagraphics, it's out on April 20th. Um, you can uh, pre-order through Diamond. Uh, well, does Fanagraphics still distribute through Diamond? Who knows? But let's talk about that book a little bit. Were you working on that? Uh, what was the timeline you were working on that book? Man, so that one started out as like this little 20-page Xerox comic that I put out in 2016, like fall of 2016, and then did like another 20 pages maybe and put it out as another comic like the next spring and then just kind of let it sit for a couple years because I didn't really know what to do with it and was just kind of like I don't know I have other things to work on right now but since Koyama stuff wrapped up I jumped back into it and I guess the timeline was like 2016 to the beginning of last year like off and on not totally so just you working were on that. Like, as far as, like, drawing the book, the book was drawn over a period of four years? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Is that weird for you? Because, I mean, you know, just looking at your previous remark about how, like, you know, you didn't like the drawings in the first two Koyama books. Like, do you feel like it's strange to work on something that long because the style could possibly change up, you know, during the process of making it? Oh, yeah. Like, I definitely just want to work on, like... Like a maximum of like 50 pages at a time. Yeah. So the decision to publish at Fantagraphics, you know, arguably the best, uh, you know, independent publisher as far as like prestige and roster and so forth. Was that a no brainer for you? Were you considering other options? How'd that come up? For Young Shadow, that seemed like the best fit. Like I just couldn't really think of any other publisher that wasn't like a lateral move from Koyama. You know what I mean? Like in terms yeah. of distribution and stuff. Like Fantagraphics, I feel like has its foot in like every door of like the direct market or whatever like you can get it at comic shops you can get it at bookstores and it's like not weird for a bookstore to order a bunch of fanographic stuff mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it, it that i don't know it just seemed like a good place for it and did you set that up like did uh they hit you up did you pitch to them 
Um, Eric Reynolds over there, I gave him a mini comic. I think it was maybe the like the Young Shadow mini comic at CXC a couple years ago. And we just kind of kept in touch. He was like, hey, if there's ever anything you want to pitch, let me know. So I sent him an email and he was down to do it. So that was luckily a pretty easy step there. Hell yeah. Have you uh, gotten your copies of the book yet? I think you posted that you did, correct? I got a proof copy just to see if everything looked okay. And okay. yeah, so I just got one and I assume the other ones will get here soon. Nice. So um, the new book, uh, you know, is out on April 20th. Um, are you offering any kind of, you know, online deals? Are you doing sketch copies or anything like that? I'm probably going to do some kind of print and include that with the book. I'm not really sure. I'm also not sure how many copies I'm getting, so I don't want to like oversell myself. But okay. I've been thinking about doing some kind of benefit thing because initially when I did the mini comic run, I like donated a certain amount to this charity called My Dog Eats First, which helps homeless people feed their pets. I felt like I had to do something like that just because part of the comic has to deal with like a homeless person and companion animals and things like that. So I might do something like that again. I need to figure out, you know, what charity or whatever needs money right now. But there will be something that I do in my web store. All right. Hell yeah. Very, very cool. So how how did you land the Garfield gig? Because that still perplexes me. <laughs> I mean, I really don't know either. I did an Adventure Time short, like five pages or something. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Like five or six years ago, maybe. And mm-hmm. I think the editor who worked on that was the editor for the Garfield thing. And she emailed me and was like, hey, we're putting together this mini series of like Garfield comics where each comic is by a different artist that draws nothing like Jim Davis. And I was like, yeah, why not? And of course, being Boom Studios, it was like, we can pay you $60 a page for pencils and inks. And can't remember if they wanted me to do colors too. But I was just like, I don't really care that much, so I'll pass. <laughs> but if you can pay me like 150 a page, and I think they talked me down a little bit, but I was able to haggle up, and then I drew Garfield, and the rest is history, I guess. That's pretty impressive, because I'm pretty sure like their median page rate is usually about $30. <laughs> it's it's pretty embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, if I worked there, I'd be embarrassed to work there. <laughs> Yeah, like your job is telling people how much you can pay them. Yeah, it's like, I, <laughs> That'd be horrible. I mean, luckily I don't have like art school debt, but you know, a lot of the people who work for them, it's like just come out of Savannah or Micah oh. or whatever. And it's like, I know you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, but we can only pay you $30 a page to draw Steven Universe or whatever. <laughs> Right. <laughs> we're just not making any money off of it, you know? Right. We're not making money off of these billion dollar licenses, right? <laughs> Did they at least pay you on time? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think, aside from the haggling, like getting paid was not really that big okay, of that's a hassle. Good. Yeah. That is a relief. Yeah. I know and they I mean, were having some since issues. Since it wasn't like it's supposed to be on model or anything, like there was, right. there weren't really any corrections to be made. So I, I basically just uh, pumped it out and there it was. So, did you write the script? No, it was whoever writes, like, the Garfield comics that aren't in the newspaper. I forget what oh, his name is. Weird. Okay. But I will say, that was the easiest script I've ever drawn from a writer. Like, he had that down to a, a science. Like, it wasn't like I didn't have to do any editing. Like, it was like, here's there's an appropriate number of actions per panel. I didn't have to figure out which one I needed to show and which one to cut. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Yeah, that that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, aside from the money thing, it really wasn't that bad of an experience, oddly enough. Right. I mean, it, it, 2021 is a weird time 
And I feel like having Garfield in your CV is actually something worth talking about now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's pretty funny. I forget that it happened. So every time someone <laughs> brings it up, it's like, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I told the comic store, uh, Great Escape, I was like, yeah, I'm going to need these two issues, these children's <laughs> comic. <laughs> these baby comics. <laughs> of Garfield put in my holes, if that's cool. <laughs> and they're no, good. <laughs> I feel like I went and drew Garfield's in the issues when they got them, too. I can't remember. Oh, okay. Nice. So, I, I'll have to check my, did, uh, does that comic normally look like Jim Davis's style? Yeah, well, I mean, Jim Davis's style at this point is like a bunch of people working. Right, yeah. Together. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like The Simpsons. There's like, it's yeah. the, yeah, the style died according to stamp. whatever company. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I honestly never looked at them, so I couldn't tell you. I, w- I would assume they are because they want to keep that, you know, pretty flush across the board. Hell yeah. How does Boom even acquire all these licenses? Because they'll just have like random shit like Garfield and then like Ghostbusters and then like a random Nickelodeon title. I would assume that that's because that's where all the money goes and budgeting. Yeah, has to be. Like, But they just buy the most random shit. It's just kind of weird. But um, I have no idea. Yeah. Well, we did get a lot of questions. So, JB, do you have anything you want to hit on before we get into those? Yeah. I want to talk a bit about conventions, especially since now – uh, conventions feel like this like bygone era. Like, oh, yeah. Something that's so detached from us, but was very much part of our lives. They're coming back. They'll yeah, back. I mean, eventually they will come back, right? Yeah. And I'm, I am genuinely curious to see what that even begins to look like, but... Well, aren't they doing it in like November? Like C2E2 and Emerald City? Aren't yeah, all those C- like gearing up to run? Yeah, C2E2 is supposed to be in December, uh, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I don't even know if anybody's going to go to that in December, but we'll see. So, Ben, before we even really knew each other, we would see each other at cons a lot of times because we were just happenstance doing the same shows pretty often. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember seeing you, I, I can't remember which show it was that we actually met. I feel like it was, it was Cincinnati. Was it CincyCon? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I feel like a lot of like comic relationships were built on Cincy. Which is weird because- it, It's very weird yeah. when you think about if it. If anyone's yeah. ever been to Cincinnati, you wouldn't think it's a place where people meet and have fun. Right. Yeah. But I mean, credit goes to Cincy for putting on a pretty good show. Yeah. Considering how limited the audience was there. Totally. But uh, they took care of their guests and they always did have very good lineups. Uh, It was like one of those shows where you knew you weren't going to make a ton of money, but you would at least have a good time. Yeah. You would at least see your friends who all came in from like 10 hours away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, you can't ask for too much more than that now. Well, at least back then with with conventions, I feel like. But what was your your sort of like your favorite experiences of tabling? Like, did you actively enjoy it? Did you just see it as something that you had to do in terms of like marketing yourself? Um, I would say in the beginning, it was definitely like, oh, I can't wait to take a trip to Cincinnati or Chicago or Bethesda, Maryland. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, as- <laughs> As you do more of these things, it's like you kind of figure out which ones are fun and which ones are like, oh man, I'm doing this as a job right now. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, yeah, like, you know, there's all the small press ones are pretty cool and like Heroes Con is cool. Any other like superhero convention was just like, man, this is, I don't really belong here. Like, I'm selling an okay amount of stuff. So, like, it has to justify it a little bit, but yeah. otherwise it's kind of bleak. But sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, small press stuff is fun because you just see your friends, you know. Right. Yeah, we and say it all the time on the show. It's the best part of the shows. 
Yeah. Like selling stuff is fun too, because then it makes you like excited to go make more stuff. And like, you know, you feel like a legitimate artist because like people bought my stuff at this thing. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, knowing that you have an audience, I think that's really yeah. the, the biggest takeaway. Because if you don't have an audience, there's like, I mean, there's still a reason to make things, but the drive is going to be a little bit lower, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're driving or flying to these shows, you know, like if you don't have an audience, eventually it just becomes a money pit. It's already a money pit. But if you don't yeah. cultivate any kind of audience along the way, I just can't see any reason to continue doing it after a certain amount of time. Well, yeah, totally. I, I mean, I would always see certain tablers in artist alleys for different shows, whether it be small press or like a big Cape comic convention or whatever. And it was always kind of assumed that you would have like these filler tables of artists, yeah. you know, that are actively just signing up to lose money and not yeah. just, not just like a couple of hundred dollars. I'm talking like going hard into the negatives. Yeah. They've got like banners and, uh, you know, uh, what do they call it? Signage. <laughs> yeah. Professionally right. printed. <laughs> yeah. My, my favorite would be the email sign up sheet. Just oh, the God. most depressing, <laughs> bleak thing you could see on a table. <laughs> or like people walking down the middle of the aisle and they like verbally accost them from behind the table. Right. Hey, oh, do you, man. Do you like this kind of story? And it's like- The carnival barker If I liked it, stick. I'd stop at your table. Yeah. That that stuff is truly painful. Yeah, uh, yeah, especially totally. if you're tabling next to that person. Holy shit. Yes. I had to do that at, what was that? I think that was Heroes one year. Probably the last heroes I was at, now that I think about it. You remember how punished uh, Blake and Dylan got by those people? They put their sign in front of their table. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was at SPX, I think, right? Yeah. SPX had signs? Yeah, this this person had like a huge banner and it was just like covering, it it was blocking uh, Blake and and Dylan's uh, friend of the show, Drug Dogs and, and Blake Sims. Yeah, uh, just blocking their, their sides and their. Tables. Of course, yeah. they're too nice to ask him to move it too. Yeah, so. it took like halfway through day one, uh, <laughs> and then they finally asked to move it. But they were like the carnival barker types to like stop people. Oh yeah, and uh, they they were doing like a high concept fantasy comic, so they were like debating people about Lord of the Rings for like thirty minutes at a time. So just <laughs> like true the worst. God, yeah, the worst tabling experience I can imagine, especially at SPX because that's supposed to be one of the good ones, right? Yeah, but it can happen. Yeah, it can definitely happen at a show like that. So, uh, like, what were your your sort of, like, favorite experiences and then maybe your not-so-favorite experiences at these types of shows, whether it be a cape show or a small press show or what have you? Or even a zine fest. I don't know if you've done a a bunch of them, but... done a couple. I do miss Comic Arts Los Angeles because it's really nice to go out there in December when Kentucky is just like a mud pit, like a freezing mud pit. But the tabling out there, like... There's always some weird celebrity who shows up. Yeah. Or, I don't know, it's just interesting cast of characters. But Matt Groening, the Simpsons guy, like, every year would always show up right before the end. Oh, yeah, right. And would, like, go around to every table. Not every table, but, like, most tables and, like, Mm -hmm. pick something up. And would just, like, walk out with this canvas bag of, like, tons of comics. And he finally stopped by my table at the last one and i felt nice. i felt validated it was pretty good did he get anything yeah oh nice. no okay. he looked at it he looked at it did you uh <laughs> that would be genuinely very funny <laughs> <laughs> did you uh did you play it cool yeah i was just like well i was pretty tired luckily so i had no energy i mean i'm a as you know very high energy guy that's <laughs> about to say usually <laughs> so like just can't. end of the weekend i was like pretty zapped so it's like hey how's it going yeah that that is definitely I didn't even um, bring up this 
that is definitely one memory I have of you at every show is just like as soon as the show was out and everybody was hanging out at the bar, I'd be like, Ben, you need to calm down. You're drinking yeah. way too much. <laughs> You're shouting. <laughs> You've had two sparkling waters yeah. and <laughs> Well, I mean, maybe next time he'll uh he'll let you uh sign your name in the flight logs too. Yeah. For all the real heads. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to bring that up because uh, that was also one of the bummers was like the week before the last Comic Arts LA. I was like, oh, Matt Groening was on Epstein's plane. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, so then he comes up to the table and that's the whole, like, you know, the previous years. I'm like, oh, it's a Simpsons guy. It's going to be great. He's going to buy something. And he finally stops by and that's all I think about. <laughs> I, w- I wasn't going to bring it up, but since you did, why not? <laughs> you know I had to. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, on that note, uh, let's get into some listener questions. Yeah. So, uh, Caroline Cash uh, previously had the record for most listener questions, but I think Ben beat Caroline on uh, yeah. the amount of questions. Yeah. So, what we're going to do is we're going to read through these questions. And if anything has been answered in the interview, you know, we're not going to answer it. Uh, sorry. But uh, yeah, let's get into those. As far as how you could submit these to us, uh, we always put little uh, question things up on our Instagram at gutterboyspod. You can also hit us up on Twitter at gutterboyspod as well. Email us at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com. Or if you would like to join our Discord, you can ask questions in there as well. For an invite, just DM our show account or my personal account account and I'll hook you up. Anyway, uh, now that we got all that out of the way, first question comes from our Discord from uh, Instagram user uh, SadboyAngryManFrank. Frank asked, Ben's backgrounds are so good and full of life. Does he enjoy drawing backgrounds more of the characters? I would say I made a conscious decision a couple years ago to treat the backgrounds as characters. So hmm. it's all characters to me, which could be a bad thing because there are some artists who do like pretty you know loose backgrounds that still manage to convey a lot of information and it looks cool but like i like you know make sure everything is drawn in like in focus and everything and yeah i mean i don't know i like backgrounds i feel like the backgrounds are important usually if you slack on them then people notice yeah or you could just be a boss and not draw any backgrounds yeah i mean people can pull that off it's whatever the story needs but for mine if i didn't draw backgrounds it would be not super exciting to read (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There could be a case where you could pull that off. Yeah. I believe in you, Ben. I mean, there are some panels where I don't draw background, like just like a splash of color, but usually try to throw some stuff in there. True. Yeah, yeah. All right. Another Discord user, Shrelp, uh, they ask, who are the artists that inspired Ben? His art is some of the most unique I've seen. What is it that leads him to create such creative and amazing pages where all lines seem to complement each other? Hmm. Well, I do like Nick Park who did Wallace and Gromit. Charles Schultz is good. Akira Toriyama. Uh, those are kind of the big three that come to mind. Maybe Gary Larson there too. Hmm. As far as the lines, I think that might just be because I've been doing it for so long. Like it just, you know, you can, after a while you kind of figure out what needs to be in there and what doesn't. Like what we were talking about earlier, like you don't need a whole lot of extra hatching and stuff like that. Just put down whatever you can to get the point across. Mm-hmm. Right. Less is more for sure. Yeah. Uh, an economy of line. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I say that and like all my drawings are like riddled with lines still. <laughs> Although you're pushing more towards like textured elements too. Yeah, I guess so. Now I am with the two yeah. color stuff. Well, I would say within the last like two or three years, I, I've, I've been seeing more and more of it kind of peek into your work. 
Yeah, there's a couple prints here and there that I feel like you've leaned into that style, but yeah. you were doing that before, like that kind of stipling kind of thing. But yeah, next question comes from uh, previously just mentioned uh, friend of the show, Caroline Cash. Caroline asks, what is Ben's favorite food? And also, what comics are you reading or excited about right now? Well, my favorite food sometimes is uh, like green curry. It's pretty good. Other times it's this place next to my house that has a giant plate of nachos. So I kind of go back and forth between those two. Is it just called giant plate of nachos? <laughs> well, it's called the large nachos, but it's like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What spot is it? Uh, if you don't, can I ask? It's El Mundo. Are you okay, that yeah, El Mundo? Yeah. Sponsor yeah, our boy. That place is rocked. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, since the pandemic, they've only done like take and bake nachos, which is not really my thing. So I haven't had these nachos in a year, maybe. It's crazy. Mm, a reckoning is coming. I hope so. <laughs> oh, the comics, though. I just got that Gary Panter Jimbo comic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one's cool. Yeah. Never read that before. Pretty excited about it. I've actually, I don't have a ton of time to read, so I usually just read uh, Popeye or Peanuts before bed. Like, you can read a couple days, and usually that puts me right out. But I feel like I always get pretty excited about those, especially Popeye, which it's a shame those Fantagraphics books, there aren't more copies of those out there, because they're really good. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to reprint them or what. Um, doesn't look like they are. Yeah, but, uh... I think maybe, you know, they didn't recoup the losses or whatever. Yeah, that's what it kind of sucks. Like, I know that's what happened with the Nancy books. So they kind of just stopped those. At least Popeye got to spell out uh, the name through six <laughs> volumes. <Yeah. laughs> well, it's, I feel like you can find most of them for like, I haven't looked in a while, but like around list price, maybe a little bit more. But then mm -hmm. one of the volumes is like $800 for some reason. Yeah. Can you not uh, hit up Fanagraphics now that you work for them and be like, hey, can you just send me one of these oh, if you I, have one? I did. They don't have any. Oh, shit. Okay. Because that, yeah. that, that was the thing I was looking forward to. I was like, I'm finally going to get this stupid $800 Popeye book. <laughs> and it's like not even the last book in the series. It's like one of the middle letters. So if you have all of them, you just have a missing letter. So it's like, I don't even know what that would spell with the spines all lined up. Po-eyes? Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Pop, yes. It doesn't make any sense why that one would be like so expensive. Right. Like it'd, it'd be like if it was like the last volume or something like that, yeah. you know, like the print run diminishes as like they come out, but just one randomly in the middle. Yeah. Well, the library has it, so I, I did get to read it eventually. Oh, okay. And every time I looked at it, I was like, man, is it worth sacrificing being able to get books at the library to <laughs> just keep this forever? Well, uh, I heard that if you say that it's lost, they just make you pay cover price, so... They'd probably look it up and be like, you owe us a thousand dollars. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we own you now. Yeah. You have to work at the library now, <laughs> which wouldn't be that bad. Yeah, not a not a horrible gig. Oh man. All right. Another Discord user, Joey Finoli, asks, What is Ben's work schedule like? My work schedule. Yeah, well people people really like asking us about schedules. Yeah, like I've I've usually make it a point to ask every episode because people usually ask. So like what's a day and like if you're working on a book, what's your regular day look like? If I'm working on a book, my day is like wake up, you know, look at the internet for like twenty minutes and then get started and kind of take small breaks throughout the day. Maybe like an exercise break in the middle of the afternoon. Get some deadlifts in. Go out and pull a tire in the yard. Yeah. No. Swing a hammer around. <laughs> like maybe go for a run uh, or something like that, bike ride or something. And then work late into the night because when you're working on a book, you can't clock out. 
Right. Yep. But my work schedule with the animation stuff was better because it was like just working basically nine to five or 10 to six or whatever. It's way healthier than comics. Yeah. Having a set schedule like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. With your work schedule, how long did it take for you to really get into a rhythm or like a setting your own schedule and sticking to it? I don't know. I never really had trouble doing the work just because like, you know, with Koyama, like if I didn't do the work, I'd let Annie down and that's the last thing you want to do. Right. Well, even even before that, though, like if you were just working on self-published stuff. I don't know. I never really had problems like, I mean, obviously when there's not enough time in the day to do it, that's a problem. But like, yeah, I would always make time to do it. Mm. So whether that meant like waking up early or staying up late or like drawing at work, like when I used to work at a coffee shop, like I would draw behind the counter in between customers, which is frustrating because like you can't get a whole lot done. You're like drawing for maybe 10 minutes, maybe 30 seconds. Right. Can't really get into a rhythm. It's not ideal, but you're still getting the work done. Yeah. You were doing the same thing, too, when you were on the road touring with your band, too, right? Yeah. Luckily, the touring didn't really overlap with, like, book deadlines too much, but I would definitely bring stuff to work on and just kind of sit down and draw whenever I had a minute. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, if you want to do it, you'll find time to do it. Yeah, definitely. Do you you miss uh, touring or playing music like that? I miss parts of it. I miss mainly like having that collaborative environment. So really not like the touring part can be fun sometimes, but you know, just like writing songs as a group and having everyone's um, skill set complement each other. It's satisfies a different need than comics does. Cause like comics is such a solo effort usually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like getting together with people and making something is, is like a different kind of different kind of thing. Yeah. It's way more collaborative in nature. Yeah. Well, it's also a way to socialize without, like, you know, going to a bar or something stupid like that. (laughs) Right. Alrighty. In the Discord, David Caldwell asked Taco Bell, yes or no? If yes, what's the order? Oh, man. Uh, They got potatoes again, right? Yeah, they're back. back? Yeah, they do. Yeah. I I don't know if they're back, like, in Kentucky yet. I can't confirm, but I was seeing on, like, Twitter that they're back. Yeah, they're back here in Chicago, so. I'm sure they're back. What a stupid mistake on their part. I know, yeah. Fucking idiots. I know. It's not the McRib, man. Come on. (laughs) Something with potatoes in it. Uh, No meat, obviously. So, just like, you know, the spicy potato soft taco. Okay. Are you vegetarian or vegan? Vegetarian. Okay. Have you ever tried the uh, quesarito with potatoes in it? No, I don't go to Taco Bell often, but when I Mm. ended up there, it was, I'll just stick to what I know is not going to tear my insides apart. I see. Well, next time you go, get a quesarito, get the vegetarian version because it has black beans instead of meat, and then add potatoes. Yes. That That sounds good. That is the money move right there. Okay. Hmm. What kind of sauce should I put on that? That sounds good. I think the quesarito comes with like the quesadilla sauce, doesn't uh, actually, it? Actually, no. Weirdly enough, it does no? not. Oh, okay. That You would think, considering the name, but uh, no. Yeah, you yeah. can add it on, but I think it's like 50 cents. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> what a scam. Uh, ne- yeah, right. Uh, the red sauce, though, free on anything. So, just add red sauce. Okay. Oh, uh, how can you lose? All right. Friend of the show, Josh Pettinger, they ask, uh, how far down the line is he to inherit the Sears department store fortune? Some British humor here. Not not in line to inherit anything, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you'd be able to be a real cartoonist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean. <laughs> you could be a landlord then. Sears is basically <laughs> like nothing at this point though. Yeah. No, I don't even think it's a company anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't really know what They Sears don't even have the Sears Tower anymore. 
That's from, true. From what oh, I've did heard. they get the name taken yeah, away? It's, yeah. it's called huh. something else, but everybody still calls it the Sears yeah. Tower. <laughs> it's always right, going to be the right. Sears Tower, but you know, there's yeah. no money to back it up. So right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Took the name off, yeah. All righty. Uh, next question. Tom Nishaw, friend of the show, asked to make you talk about straight edge bands, but we're not going down that uh, road. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't really listen to much straight edge music. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Corey Roberts asked, what are Ben's favorite non-comic books? Oh, man. I really like uh, Raymond Chandler stuff. Like, you know, it's a little problematic in parts, but that's... I don't know. It's easy for me to read. I have a hard time focusing on, you know, books like Words Without Pictures. So, Raymond Chandler, whoever did Hammett, I can't pronounce his first name. He did Maltese Falcon and stuff like that. Just those old detective books are pretty cool. I'm reading this book of Orson Welles interviews right now. Stuff like that is is cool to read too. Just stuff to make me feel like I'm a little bit smarter after I read it. Hell yeah. All right, another Discord user, Milo Marinara, they ask, what size is he drawing something like Young Shadow? Is that all on real paper? Also, uh, y'all will probably talk about this, but I want to know about comic scenes in Kentucky. I'm drawing Young, or I drew Young Shadow, I guess, mostly on 9 by 12 paper. So pretty small. That was the book I scaled down on. So I used to draw on 11 by 14. So mainly working at 9 by 12 now. And what was the question after that? Oh, yeah. Something uh, about Kentucky's comic scene. Yeah. Do you want to tell them about the Louisville Cartoonist Society? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I wish I could. I really don't know much about it. I'm not in it. Oh, yeah. They're dorks. Uh, <laughs> that's from me, not you. <laughs> not from Ben. I'm saying that. <laughs> yeah. Anything I've seen by them is just kind of like... Uh, it's like the, the fan art shit that people sell at big cape shows. Yeah, I mean, there's like people who self-publish comics, but they're just not anything that that I'm interested in or that's even similar to what I'm doing. Yeah, same. Like, I, if there is a scene here, I don't really know too much about it. Like, the only cartoonists that I know are, you know, Ben, and then I know Blake Sims, Dylan Drug Dogs, and uh, Jordan Spears here in Louisville. But I don't know if he's really active in comics so much anymore. Yeah. And yeah, there's a guy named Darren Vote that I've met uh, who does shows here in Louisville, but that's about it. Yeah, there, and I guess, there are a couple yeah. guys doing comics a while back. I don't know if they do anything anymore. That Sean Ford, right? Wasn't he around for a while? Sean Ford was here for a little bit. This dude, Jesse Lucas, was drawing comics for a little bit. He might still do illustration stuff, but I haven't seen him around in, in a bit. But yet, as far as like the stuff that we're interested in, I think it's you know not super big here. Yeah, did you know that uh, there's a store here in Louisville called Great Escape for the listeners, but did you know that Robert from Great Escape, like the older dude, did you know he was like doing comics in the 80s and 90s? I had a feeling. Yeah. Because I mean- He, he foisted his uh, Dracula graphic novel on me one day in there <laughs> and I bought it. Uh, Is it good? <laughs> yeah, it's good. It just looks like it's from 1988, you know? Oh, so it's yeah. really good. Yeah. No, it was. it's fine though, yeah. But no, he's always talking comics. I didn't know. I don't know how much he still works, but yeah. Yeah, I always assumed he was like a lifer just because he's been working there for, you know, as long as I've been going there. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So next question came from Discord user Nylon underscore horse. Can you ask him if Steve Albini composed the Seinfeld theme? Oh, God. I know who this is. Uh, <laughs> I think this is Alex <laughs> Deegan, if you all know him. No, I, I don't think this is Alex Deegan, actually. Really? Yeah, I think because uh, I think I follow this guy on Instagram. I do. Yeah, this is an Alex Deegan. Okay, because Alex always asks me that question. Yeah. 
So I just assume it's him. Oh, okay. Uh, some kind of cyberbullying tactic he's got going. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I don't really understand it. I don't think Steve Albini did, uh, but a guy from Louisville did. Yeah, I was going to say, that's Louisville fun fact there, yeah. Yeah, and he seems like a pretty strange dude. <laughs> but he's from Louisville, so we get to claim that. Hell yeah. All right. Friend of the show and Polish-based cartoonist, Lucas. What's up, Lucas? Yakshimash. How big are the print runs of his self-published titles, and what is the best comic book format? The best comic format? Uh, oh, man. I don't know. The printed format, I guess? He might be talking about size. Yeah, probably size. size. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there is a best. Like, Well, preference-wise, what do you think is the best? Uh, I'll tell you what the worst is. All right. Okay. <laughs> the worst is that Blaine comic, Gus and his gang, that's like- you know, this beautifully drawn, like, French Western comic that got translated into English and got printed at, like, six by eight inches or something when it's supposed to be, like, a huge, like, French album size. That's the worst size. The best size, I don't know. If it looks good when I'm reading it, I guess that's the best size for whatever comic it is. <laughs> Very diplomatic answer. Well, I just can't think of, like, you know, like, some, there's, like, square mini comics that look great and there's, like... Fife's Copra like looks cool as a superhero size comic. So there's really no like gold standard, I think. It's all about utilizing and what you do in the pages. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, but the print runs of my comics, sorry, I feel like I should answer that. Typically I do a first run of like three or four hundred maybe. And then if those sell I get them reprinted in like batches of two hundred. So not super high, just enough to have some on hand all the time. Hell yeah. Alrighty. Discord. Last question from the Discord asked uh, from Celadon Gorilla. Celadon asked, please ask him to break down how he's achieving the stifling shading texture effect in empanadas. I wish I could. Just a lot of microns, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the 005 microns, just there's a pile of empty ones next to my desk from all this stippling. How many do you usually go through in one, like, book? Uh, 100. Okay. 200. Yeah. No, probably more like 50. That's still a good number. Uh, all right. Moving to Instagram, we have uh, Instagram user Sam J. Royale. He asks, do you think texture or color is more effective in generating the mood or tone of a piece? Probably both. <laughs> Sorry to take both sides again, but I mean, it's just like a situational thing. Like, I think texture has its place. It really depends on what kind of mood you're setting because... Sometimes texture is just not appropriate, but if it's like a dark, gritty kind of thing, then I would say have fun with the texture. I don't know. Well, let's say, for example, let's take like uh, the cover for Young Shadow. Okay. And if you were to remove one or the other, color or texture, which one would read better? I think the texture would read better. I mean, that's what the book was drawn with in mind was like that like gritty kind of MS Paint spray paint brush. So, I would say in that situation, like, if you took the yellow out, it would still have the same look, I think. Yeah, I think it yeah. also helps that that book is, like, sort of black and white in a way, besides the, you know, the yellow. Yeah. Well, that's one of my few holdouts from graphic design college is, like, if something looks good in black and white, like a logo, I think, was the context they were using. Mm. But if it looks good in black and white, or no, it has to look good in black and white, or else it won't work. Right. So, I kind of use that mindset with comics hell yeah 
Next Instagram question came from Ian Densford. Ian said, I like his chunky style. What inspires the look and shading? Also, does he draw small? Which we kind of covered size already. Yeah, maybe kind of small. I don't know. I feel like everyone just kind of, there's no set standard in small press comics. The chunkiness, I guess. I was talking to somebody about this and I figured it out as I was explaining to them. I was trying to like rip off, not really rip off, but like get that same weight that John Romita Jr. has in his drawings. Oh, yeah. But since I'm not as good at drawing, it's like this weird wobbly, like everything looks like it's made out of clay. So I think that's how it happened was like I was trying to get his weight and it just because I don't have his skill, it just looks wonky and different. But everything has volume to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I think the volume is still there, but yeah. No, that yeah. definitely reads. Yeah. All right. Friend of the show, Taylor Carr on Instagram. They ask, maybe dumb, but what does Ben think the real life future will look like? The real life future? Like immediate future or like a couple years or like a hundred years? I don't know. I mean, the immediate future is like, you know, the same as it was last March. We're not really going anywhere. Right. I don't know. I was kind of hoping that like... Things would change a little bit post-pandemic, but doesn't really look like that's happening. Like, yeah, there's still not going to be universal health care or anything like that. The environment's still pretty screwed. I don't know, not to be a downer, but <sighs> it's going to look like that scene in Terminator 2 <laughs> or the end of the world with the fire just engulfing everything. Yeah. Was it the first Terminator where like there's a shot of him like stepping on a human skull or something? Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it'll be that bad. Yeah. <laughs> that would be way more badass, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of what, we'll, what we're going to get is not going to be as cool as that. It's going to be like people like Elon Musk and any of these dipshits making NFTs who are going to burn the planet down. Right. Yeah. yeah. And just, yeah, it's not going to be cool. It's just going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Worst yeah. case scenario. Best case is like, you know, some kind of utopian society emerges from the ashes. I don't know. I won't be around for any of that stuff. So who can say? <laughs> uh, Cam, you want Alex's question? Yes. Okay. Friend of the show, Alex Knoll asked, well, remarked and asked, your comics have good morals. Do you feel a responsibility to show goodness overcoming evil? Not really. I think I try to show that you should still be good despite evil winning most of the time like you shouldn't be good in hopes that like you can defeat evil or whatever because that's just not how life works really right so i think just being good to your immediate circle and hoping that like kind of ripples out is the mindset i try to go in there with i don't know i think a lot of like young adult stuff these days focuses too much on like just like black and white you know what i mean like you can only be completely good and like the author's intent is like like the character's intent in the book is like how the author feels you know what i mean yeah. right which is kind of a weird way of looking at things but yeah i don't know i try to make things like like you should be a good person even if it doesn't make a difference <laughs> or it makes sense if it's not convenient if it's not convenient if it's not going to save the world at that moment you should still be a good person right yeah, yeah. you should still think with like like, how is this going to help everybody else around me instead of me just getting mine right now? Yeah. Right. Uh, Hell yeah. Which, which is why I'm personally excited for DC's new young adult book, Rorschach Jr. <laughs> oh, God. You say that as a joke, I'm hoping, but you know it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like a lot of stuff that we've joked about has come to, yeah. you know, be a reality. <laughs> so Rorschach just... Jr. by Scotty Young. 
Oh, God. <laughs> uh, okay. Instagram user Nosebabies asks, question for the crew. Do you have hope for the next generation of cartoonists? Uh, yes, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Why not? I mean, there's there's a lot of cartoonists right now that can't even legally buy alcohol and are running circles yeah. around, you know, longtime pros. So, yeah, I think the future's looking really good for like new cartoonists, in my opinion. I think so too. I mean, I mean, two, you know, friends of the show, previous guest Jasper Juvenville is, you know, 20 years old and making crazy work. Nate Garcia's 18 making work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the questions that somebody asked earlier, Shrill or Shrillep, or I don't know how to pronounce that in our Discord, they're from India and they're 15. So, I mean, Oof. I, I've got wow. faith. Yeah, I've got faith in, you know, the new class of cartoonists uh, coming up. I, you know, why not? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, Tilly Walden's 19 making 400 page books. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody's going to hold it down. <laughs> yeah. All right. Speaking of the devil, uh, Instagram user <laughs> Nate Garcia's cartoons asked two questions. Do you keep sketchbooks? And be honest, what did you have for breakfast today? Yeah, I keep sketchbooks usually, but I've been too busy lately to draw on them, which is a huge bummer because I feel like that's where I make like breakthroughs with drawing is like just kind of messing around. It's probably because I'm working on a comic right now and just my all my drawing energy is put towards that. Right. But I think keeping a sketchbook is, is a really good idea. I guess I would also used to draw on it more just because I would go places and like take it with me, but oh, I'm just yeah. at home now. You remember places? <laughs> I'm having a hard time remembering them. <laughs> But I've heard about them. Yeah, I've heard good things. Yeah. So maybe once things kind of uh, level out a little bit and I don't feel like a jerk for like going and sitting someplace in public, then I'll take a sketchbook. But it's kind of barren right now. Yeah. Then for breakfast, I had Apple Jacks because there was nothing else in the house to eat. So I had some (laughs) of my girlfriend's Apple Jacks. It wasn't even yours. (laughs) No. And I didn't enjoy it either. I don't really like cereal that much. So I was just like, man, I got to eat something. But- there's like no breakfast food here. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll uh, donate some food to you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime. Instagram user Tundra Wizard has two questions. Uh, they ask, "What's the latest punk band Ben is obsessed with, and what was his process making his Young Shadow Zine into a full graphic novel?" I think we touched a bit on that, but uh, go ahead. The punk band I'm into right now is not a punk band, but <laughs> the. The attitude is pretty punk. Okay. And that's what counts, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm late to the party, but Yellow Magic Orchestra is oh, yeah. pretty cool. That shit rocks. Yeah, so I've been listening to that a whole bunch and their whole attitude with like making fun of uh Western ideas about what Japan and, you know, Asia in general is like is pretty punk, I think. Hmm. Just like clowning on idiots is always good. There's, but you know, uh, they're also they're also a really good band, so I think that makes it easier to listen to there's a lot of really good youtube live sets of them that i've been watching lately oh yeah it's all good because they're all like incredible musicians too Uh uh-huh yeah for sure well you know like any other band from that era it's like you watch a live video of like new order from the 80s and they just press a button on their giant computer setup and that's the song but you watch yellow magic orchestra and it's like oh these guys are all playing this stuff Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's really awesome stuff. Plus, uh, what's the, uh, I forgot the dude's name, the main dude. He has, a, he has a bunch of solo records that are pretty cool too. Yeah. If you want to go down that road. Yeah, any of those guys, they all have like crazy solo careers as well. Have you uh, heard of that new Philly band called Poison Rune? No. I think you might dig him. 
Poison Rune or Ruin? Uh, it's R-U with the umlaut, I-N-E. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I think it is Ruin. I'll check it out. Anyway. Okay, so last question. Sorry, I uh, I clipped it, so I don't know who actually asked this question. Uh, if you did, send us an email, and we will apologize to you personally. Okay. Uh, last question is, any stories about Ben's experience working on the show Midnight Gospel? Uh, nothing specific. Yeah, I mean, just that was a pretty cool experience in general. Just, you know, waking up every day and doing character designs for like six or seven months straight. It's kind of like a dream job. I'm trying to think of any stories in particular. Like, it was cool working remotely just because Kentucky's cheap and Los Angeles money is pretty good out here. But I do feel like I missed some of, like, the studio atmosphere, I guess, which would probably generate some more interesting stories. But I don't know. I kind of just, like, got up every day and got to work and clocked out and just had a very pleasant experience. I haven't seen the last episode yet, though, because... When I was working on it, I don't know if anybody else has seen it, but it's about his, it's an interview with his mom who's like dying of cancer or something. So it's pretty heavy. And I just remember watching the animatic when I got it to start working and I was like, man, I don't know if I can revisit this. And I still haven't seen it. I'm going to see it eventually, but it was pretty intense. Like even just looking at like the rough storyboards with rough dialogue. Yeah. You know, are you wanting to work in animation some more after that? You said it was kind of like a dream gig. Is that something you want to pursue or is it going to be something that just if it falls in your lap? I worked most of last year on a Netflix show called Battle Kitty, Okay, which I don't think is coming out until next year. But it's like uh, like 3D animation. I don't know. It's really hard to describe, but I designed like Mario style overworld maps for some of the episodes. So, well, I didn't, it, it's with the animation stuff, it's kind of hard to describe what exactly you did because there's like so many people doing different things. Right. Yeah. But I did, I did layouts for the map designs. So what I did was like the episode designer would send me like a super rough map of like all of these things that need to be in there that match the Netflix user interface, like choose your own adventure kind of thing. Right. So I had to do a rough layout of the final map over there, like wireframes and then i would pass it along to like the map designer who would clean it up i don't know it was weird but i spent like most of last year doing it um so animation stuff is it's cool i would like to keep doing it but yeah like you said it's just whenever an opportunity comes up i guess it does make it a little harder living in kentucky but i think yeah the pandemic stuff is i i would hope making people rethink like remote working yeah i was just gonna say i feel like since the start of the pandemic more studios are actively looking for, or at least more streaming platforms rather, are looking for more animation. And so now these studios yeah. are kind of opening up to allowing their workforce to work from home uh, just because there's really no need to be in a, in a studio setting for that. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be cool. I wish uh, the comics industry was as well organized as animation is in terms of like uh, transparency about payment and stuff like that. Yeah, that is likely because there's more money there, maybe. Well, I think they I think they did it earlier on, too, whereas the comic stuff is just like full of the worst scabs right. you can imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's an industry built off of scabbing. <laughs> yeah, I, that's something I need to like read about more, just animation unions in general. But yeah, I do feel like comics would benefit from that kind of organization. Yeah. I mean, comics in general could benefit from a union, but that, you know, totally. that's, uh, that, who's to say if that will ever happen? 
that's up to the younger cartoonists that we're so excited about, right? Yes. Yeah, so yes. do we have faith in you? Possibly. It was a yes, now it's a possibly. Ball is yeah. in your court. No, I feel like I most of them are yeah. like way more radicalized earlier on nowadays. For sure. Yeah. Oh, totally. So I think there is still hope. I don't oh, know. Yeah. I'm not a very yeah. optimistic person, but I, I will say that there there is some semblance of hope, I think. Yeah. No, for sure. All righty. Well, before we get out of here, Ben, where can people find you online? You know, enjoy your work, buy your work, etc. It's at Ben Sears on Instagram and Twitter, and then I have a Patreon which is also Ben Sears, which is where I'm posting this new comic that I'm working on. And then I guess web store is bensears.bigcartel.com. That's about it. All right. All righty. Hell yeah. So Young Shadow, get it. April 20th from Fantagraphics. Order it from your comic or bookstore. Do not order from Amazon. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you heard that right. Just go straight to Amazon. Do not. Uh, no. <laughs> I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, ben, where can people listen to your music? Are you still actively recording or no? I'm working on solo stuff right now. Okay. Hopefully we'll be out by like summer-ish. Cool. Are you drumming in that band? I might be pronouncing this wrong. The Ann Brassi. That, that shit was cool. Yeah. So I've recorded a couple songs with them and they should be out. Like I've done a couple already, but then there's a couple more in the pipeline. Okay. I think it's mainly just his solo project, though, and I'm like a hired gun kind of thing. Oh, okay, okay. I see. But, yeah, I mean, solo stuff is coming soon, and I feel like that's going to be the best best thing to listen to, I guess. Most up-to-date. And I'm guessing that'll just be available on your Instagram account or Twitter. You'll be you'll be uh, sending links out or anything like that? I'll be making a stink about that as soon as it's ready. Cool. It'll probably be up All on right. Bandcamp or something. Awesome. Hell yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Ben, for uh, coming on to our show and, and uh, talking shop a little bit. We really appreciate it. We've been wanting to have you on the show for a while now, so it's nice to yeah. check that off the bucket list. Well, thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Uh, I think that's it. All right. Bye, folks. Stay gutter. <laughs>